Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Down. So happy to be here with you today. Happy July. Hey, the music in the background, we're going to keep on keeping on for a couple more weeks with our good friend, Mr. Ryan O'Neill, also known as Sleeping at Last. This is the Enneagram 7 song from his Enneagram series. And we just all loved Ennea Summer 2019 so much, we don't want it to end. And so we're going to let the music keep going. Make sure you check out his stuff when you get a chance. And listen, if you've been around the show for a while, you know I've got two big goals. I want you to love the Enneagram and I want you to love international soccer. And currently the Women's World Cup is in the last week of a month long tournament. And I have been dying for us to talk about it. A few years ago, my friend Jeremy Courtney, who you guys know, he's been on the show. He introduced me to Lauren Holiday. Lauren Holiday didn't know who I was, but I knew who she was because she is one of the biggest stars in U.S. women's soccer, in the history of U.S. women's soccer. And I absolutely adore her. She is an incredibly interesting woman of faith, soccer player, wife, mom. I think you're going to love her. So we talk a little bit about Lauren's story, and then we're also going to talk about the Women's World Cup. Now, full disclosure, we are recording this at the end of June before we know how the U.S. has done (laughs) against France. And so just know that I know that we don't go into the U.S.-France game because this was recorded before that. So I don't know what happened there. I know it was exciting, but I'm getting ready to watch it myself. (laughs) So the big thing you should know is that the final game is next Sunday, July 7th, which is also my birthday, which we also have a special podcast episode that day. So make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss that. But today on the show, we're going to talk soccer and life with U.S. women's soccer star Lauren Holiday. This is the first World Cup you haven't played in since when? Did you play in two of them? I played in two World Cups, 2011 and 2015. Okay. You are technically what we'd like to call a World Cup champion. Thank you. I am a World Cup champion. Yes, you are. <laughs> I saw yesterday on TV that one of your teammates, I can't remember which one, is commentating, and she wasn't allowed to touch the World Cup trophy because it's for the winners this year, even though y'all are the reigning champions. That's crazy. I know. Did you see that? Did you see that they wouldn't let her touch it? I didn't see it. I only get to watch the games because I have a two-year-old and she doesn't give me that much time. Um, (laughs) So I haven't seen the commentating, but that's crazy. I feel like once a World Cup champion, always a World Cup champion. We should always That's how I feel about you. So yes, that is true. (laughs) Um, Okay. Let me read some of your other stats for our friends who are listening. Two-time Olympic gold medalist, as well as you have the first jersey that was retired in the National Women's Soccer League here in the U.S. Yeah. That's so rad, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank I mean, you. so h- how many years did you play professional soccer? Ooh, I graduated college in 2010, or, and I think the WPS was happening five years of professional soccer okay. um, in different leagues. For women, when like when you're playing soccer, is it your full-time job? Are you able to live off of what you get paid to play soccer? So that that's kind of an issue for some of the girls that play in the – it's now the NWSL. For some of the girls who play in just the NWSL and they're not on the national team, the, no, they don't get paid fairly a fair wage that would let them live off of that um, the entire year. So a lot of them do coaching – a lot of them have second jobs um, and maybe even third jobs. Wow. When you're on the women's national team, 
our salary is enough that we don't have to work. Uh, and also we don't have time. We're in camp constantly. Um, right. So yeah, you're able to live off of that. But the pay discrepancy is so crazy between women and men. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's something that I saw on the news today that, that the U S soccer federation has already agreed to like have a conversation when the women get back from the world cup about changing the salary of women in soccer. I'm so happy for that. I know it's been like a long, a long battle. Um, and the U S is kind of taking the lead on that in the world. And I think that it's super important the more conversations that can be had, the better. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, so let me back up and tell you the first time I I knew I you know me I'm a huge soccer fan, so I've known you as a player for a long time. But my friend Angie Smith called me. Do you know this story? My I friend know. Angie Smith called me during the World Cup in 2015, and she said, "Do you know who Lauren Holiday is?" And I said, "Because she's like not sports at all." And I was like. Uh-huh. Yeah, Angie, of course I do. How do you know who Lauren Holiday is? <laughs> I was like, she's like one of like America's best soccer, blah, blah, blah. And she says, well, she is leading the women's national team through the seamless Bible study during the World Cup. Yep. I love Angie Smith. I'm kind of like fangirling, you know? <laughs> I'm a fan of hers. I felt like I had to, I had to like tell her that we were doing her Bible study. So that makes me excited that she talked about me. Oh my gosh. She was like, I, I mean, we, we watched the world cup together. She watched the whole thing because she felt like y'all were friends. Cause she was like, well, if Lauren holiday's playing and she's leading everybody through seamless, yeah, <laughs> then I got to pay attention. We did it all. We love seamless. Okay. Tell me about that. Pro- like what happens when you, cause not everyone on the team probably believes everything you believe, but what made you decide to like lead the team through a Bible study? So actually the U S women before me, they had Bible studies. Um, there have always been girls on the team that have led it. Oh, so that's just always part of been part of the culture is if this is part of your life, will there, someone will lead something. Yeah. And so when the NWSL came about, um, I played in Kansas city. That's where I was allocated. That's where I started to play. And one of the people that worked for the team, he went to a local church there and he knew a woman who, you know, she did Bible studies and she was a chaplain in the WNBA for a little bit. So he said, Hey, how about you come out to practice and you introduce yourself or, you know, you talk to Lauren. And so she came and she asked, Hey, are you guys interested in a Bible study? And I said, yes. And we became really good friends. She's actually the one that came up or like thought seamless would be, a perfect Bible study for us to do. Yeah. But we started a Bible study in the NWSL where every team prayed before like a game. And usually it was me that would lead it. So if you played Kansas City, you would pray before the game. But now they have a chaplain for every team. And it's just grown so much. And so many girls are involved. It's, it's really cool that I got to be a part of that. Did you grow up a believer or was that part of what happened? Like, when did that happen for you? I was raised in a Lutheran church, um, so I've always went to church. I think that I believed in God always, but like my focus was definitely soccer. Um, if church got in the way of soccer, I was kind of like, eh, I don't want to go to church. Um, mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say that I really like gave my life to Jesus and I, you know, laid it all down um, until my senior year of high school. 
And I was actually playing on the U20 women's national team. And we had this amazing coach. His name was Tim Schultz. And he was just the most amazing Christian man who you could see like every, the way that he lived, the way that he treated people, every country we went to, we went to an orphanage or we went somewhere um, to give back. And he, all the girls on the team were Christians. We had Bible studies together. And I remember thinking like, whatever he has, I want that. I want to live like that. I want to live just totally amazed by God and following God. And when people see me, they see something different. And that's when I really, I feel like my relationship with Jesus started. I feel like before I believed, but I, I didn't have a relationship. So I would say my senior year of high school is really when I started to have that relationship. And when did you switch from just being like, because I think what's so interesting is thinking about the the spiritual legacy you've left for women in soccer, as well as a playing legacy, obviously, uh, as a leader on the team and as a leader in the league. When did you switch from that mode to like, okay, now I need to start leading things with my teammates? Because you're, I mean, you're also known for your behavior on the pitch and how I mean, you're just known for reflecting Christ everywhere. When did you switch to a leader side of that versus the receiving side of that? You know, I think in 2008. So I started getting called into soccer camp, national team camp, the full women's national team when I was 17 years old. Oh my gosh, you were 17. I was 17. And I never made a roster. I was just in camps training. I got to watch these women that I had watched growing up and they just, they kind of led me and I could see like, okay, I like how this person does this. I like how that person Mm -hmm. does that. But I was kind of in the background in 2008, I was cut from the Olympic team, the very last cut. And I went home and how many people did they take? They took 18. Oh my gosh. So you were like 19. You were number 19. That is heartbreaking. Were you dying? I was devastated. Yeah. Um, but I remember like telling myself, like, I never want to feel this way again. So mm. I went home. I was packing my bags for college, going back to college. I like had a plan, like, okay, this is how I'm going to make the next team. And they're, the women are going out. Um, they're playing their last game before they go to the Olympics. And my dad is in the other room and he's like, Lauren, I think Abby really hurt herself. And I'm like, no, she's dramatic. Like, you can't hurt herself. <laughs> like, Abby's so dramatic. Stop. Like, no. And I kept packing. And I was packing up my room. And then my cell phone rang. And it said Abby Wambach. And I'm like, uh-oh. And so I answered. And I'm yeah. like, hey, Bob. And she's like, like, Chain, I love you. My maiden name was Chaney. Chain, yeah. I love you. Uh I'm so proud of you. I probably shouldn't be calling you, but you're going to the Olympics. Uh-uh. Like you're out of your mind right now. You're okay. I know you're dramatic. <laughs> like you're good. You know, she was like, right. uh, Jane, I'm 90% sure my leg is detached from my body. <laughs> and I was oh, like, wow. that's when my stomach, my stomach sank. And I'm like, okay. And about 20 minutes later, the GM called me and she told me, she's like, pack your bags. You're going to the Olympics. That is crazy. And so that was for the first one. So that's 2008. Is that what you said? That's the 2008 Olympics. And so my role on that team and like my mindset going into it was like, okay, I'm just going to be the most positive 
I'm going to cheer for everybody. Like, I'm probably not going to play a minute. Like, I already got cut. Yeah. So like, nothing's going to hurt <laughs> me more than that. Right. So I'm just going to be, like, the most positive person on the team. And so I think I – that's when I really started to kind of, like, embrace my role. And I feel like I grew up a little bit. Yeah. Did you play a minute of that time? I didn't play in the first three games. And I then I played the quarters, the semis, and the finals. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. In the finals, I was the first player off the bench. No way. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Okay, tell me, so for people who are listening that are not soccer fans, what position did you play and what does that actually mean? <laughs> I played attacking midfield and holding midfield. So the attacking midfield is right beneath the forwards, and they're usually the player creating, like creating the attack. Um, and the defensive midfielder, they connect the back line to the attacking players. And for our friends who are listening that aren't soccer people, the other thing she's not telling you is that Lauren's one of the, you have to play that position. You have to be able to run a lot. Like, do you know how many miles you would average a game? I'm pretty sure I ran the most on the team when I played and it was around eight or nine miles. Yeah. Eight or nine miles on, on one soccer field. That is just incredible. I was never good, but I, when I played growing up, I was always a defender. So I wouldn't have to run very much. That was always a <laughs> goal. Make me like a sweeper and a stopper. So I can just be back here. That means you were tough though. I am Lauren. That is true. You've got that right. I was very scary. <laughs> People did not like messing with me. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you had to have a presence. That's right. That was the goal. You're exactly right. How many years ago did you retire? I retired after the 2015 World Cup, so a few months later. Yeah. Were you already married when you retired? I was married. I had been married for two years. Okay. But but now, and now y'all have a daughter. We do. We have a two and a, well, she's almost three. She'll turn three in September. She's real cute. Everyone should go look at your Instagram because she's all over it. She's adorable. She is. She's a little bit rotten, but she is cute. That's okay. That's fine with me. With my experience of her, she can be rotten and be that cute, I think. (laughs) Tell me how you met your husband. My husband and I met actually at UCLA. We both went to UCLA. I also played basketball my whole life. Um, So I was really close with a lot of the basketball players at UCLA. And so I was at a women's basketball game and two young basketball players came in and sat in front of me. I knew they were like freshmen Uh on the team and Drew was one of them. He was sitting in front of me and I could see like a couple fans starting to come down to say something to him. But like when they got to him, they're like, oh my gosh, like Darren Collison, can I have your autograph? And I could tell he was embarrassed and he was uh-huh. like, yeah, I'm, I'm not Darren Collison, you know, and he handled it really well. He still signed whatever they wanted him to sign. But when they walked away, I told him, I was like, hey, don't worry about it. You're cuter than Darren. Oh, well done. I wasn't interested at all. I just thought I was going to like cheer him up, you know? (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so I told him he was cuter than Darren. And we kind of started like a friendship. We had mutual friends. He was also friends with girls on the basketball team. Um, And we just stayed friends. But when he left, he only stayed a year in college. So when he left to play in the NBA, I was also leaving to play professionally. So we kind of like entered the real world at the same time. But you were already friends, but you weren't in love yet? No, we were just friends. And then once we both entered the real world at the same time, he actually said 
you know, okay, what, what are we doing and what do I have to do, you know, for us to be together? And I told him politely, I was not interested. <laughs> no, Lauren, you did not. <laughs> I did. I did. I was, a li- I was a little bit scared of the long distance. I was scared of, you know, and my focus really was I wanted to win a world cup and I wanted to play in the Olympics and I couldn't see like, Oh, how could this work? But yeah, he didn't take no for an answer. Well done. I like that. What city was he drafted to? He got drafted to Philadelphia. So how long were y'all long distance? Until I retired in 2015. Oh my gosh. So (laughs) like for even parts of your like marriage, y'all been long distance. Yeah. We actually, Drew got traded from Philadelphia to New Orleans, maybe a couple weeks before we got married. And then on our honeymoon, we could only go for like three or four days anyway, because I had a game the next weekend. Yeah. (laughs) And on our honeymoon, he got a phone call and they, the NBA made him come back to pass a physical to make the trade final. Oh no. In the middle of your honeymoon. (laughs) In the middle of our honeymoon. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This is the life of two professional athletes. Yeah. Definitely. And so did he go like, cause the world cup in 2015 that you played in, it was in Canada. Did he come up and watch? He stayed the entire month. He went to every game because no I think way. he knew that it could be my last go around. So he, he came to every game. Before we jump into world cup talk, can we talk a little bit about your brain tumor and kind of that journey that's happened since then? Or do you talk about that publicly or no? Absolutely. We can talk about it. Okay. So tell me that story too, cause it's just been, when I've watched your faith journey from a distance and once our mutual friend, Jeremy Courtney introduced us, I just have watched your faith journey and go, man, that was like winning the world cup, the highest of highs, you know, and getting pregnant, the highest of highs. And then you find out you have a brain tumor. Yeah. So can you kind of back up and yeah, will you just tell us that story? Yeah, I can walk you through that. So I retired, I think in October of 2015 and Finally, like Drew and I were married and living in the same place, and we were excited about that. We knew we wanted to start a family, so in January we we tried and we got pregnant, and I felt fine. I was working out, I was doing everything the same um, that I had been, and just randomly I would be eating and I couldn't I couldn't swallow. Like I would chew my food, but it like nothing would happen. And I'm like, okay, that's weird. So I would have to like tell my body, okay, swallow the food. And I'm like, man, pregnancy is freaking weird. Like, this is weird. You know, I've never experienced pregnancy. So I just, everything that started to feel weird, I just related it like, oh, this must be what pregnancy does to your body. Yeah. So I started to feel weird. I was still working out and I couldn't balance like at all. I mean, Like I would fall over if I was doing a workout, like single leg, anything. And so I was getting super frustrated. Like I'm definitely like better than this. And even though I'm pregnant, like I should be better. So I started to like, I kind of knew, like I kind of started to feel something like, yeah, this isn't right. Like something's not right with me. I let it go. The right side of my face started to go numb. I started, I went to a couple of neurologists at that point. Were you scared? Yeah, I was starting to get scared. Yeah, I was starting, I, and I think that's why I went to a neurologist, and I didn't like what they said. So then I went to another neurologist, and um, that neurologist told me that most likely I had MS, 
and that in pregnancy in women, MS comes out a lot. And they would do an MRI 10 days after I delivered my child and like we would look at it from there. I also like something didn't sit right with me there either. I did. I just didn't like, I don't know. All I could think about is if something happens to me, something happens to my daughter. Like if they're wrong about this and it's an aneurysm or something else, if I die, she dies. And I just like couldn't handle that. So I asked for an MRI. I'm like, I want the MRI now. Like, I don't want to wait 10 days after I deliver. Like, I want it now. Right. And they told me, you know, there's risk with that. You're pregnant. But if you really want it, they would do it. But to go home and think about it. And that night I went home and I was by myself. Drew was in California. I was supposed to meet him back in California the next day. And probably at like two o'clock in the morning, I woke up with like the worst migraine I'd ever felt so bad that I put myself in the bathtub, like tried to like relax, calm myself down. Yeah. But I knew I was like, okay, I'm getting the MRI. So the next morning I went, Yeah. they got me in for an MRI and I knew immediately, like the second I was done with MRI, the guy was so sweet. He was an older man. He was just, I could like see the concern in his face when he was like helping me back up um, and he asked me, he said, please don't leave. Like, can you just stay here? And I'm like, this is bad. Like they're going to tell me something really bad, but still never in a million years did I think brain tumor. Right. I thought they were going to tell me I had MS. And so I waited and I got a phone call from the doctor and he, he wasn't in the office anymore, but he told me, he was like, I don't want you to get on a plane. I have good news and bad news. Good news, you don't have a mess. Bad news, you have a very large brain tumor. Mm. And you just had to sit there with that for a second. I mean, what was going through your mind? I remember thinking, does brain tumor mean cancer? Like, yeah. do I have cancer? Am I going, you know, and I feel like cancer holds so much, like, am I going to die? What am I going to go through? Am I going to lose the baby? Like, those were all my thoughts. Um, a friend of mine worked at the hospital, so she was sitting next to me, yeah. and she called Drew right away and was like, you need to get here. Yeah. Um, like, now. Right. And so he drove to the airport, didn't have a ticket. He bought the ticket at the counter, Aww. and he flew home to get there that night. And then the next day, we met with one of the neurologists who told us they did not think it was cancer, that it was just a very large meningioma and that most likely it was growing because of the pregnancy hormones. Oh, wow. What were you and Drew praying at this point? Like, what was it like to talk to God at this point? I'm going to be honest. I had a really hard time praying while I was going through this. Drew was so much more solid for me. Like, he's like, you got this. Got like, I know that, you know, God's got this and we're going to handle it. But it's weird because I didn't feel like my faith, I stumbled in my faith. I had a lot of questions Yeah. Um, where like when I would go to church, I would cry and I didn't understand why, like, why me? Why is this happening? Yeah. Um, am I going to be okay? Is my child going to be okay? There were so many unknowns, but for some reason I had a really hard time praying. Yeah, I get that. I think that would be very hard to to connect in that. But Drew did for you. He did. He prayed for for us. He prayed for me. Um, 
And I feel like he processed the whole thing. I don't know if this is just like a guy thing, but he processed the whole thing like a year later. Oh, really? Yeah. Like after the, after the immediate trauma is through, he's feeling it. Yeah. Like I remember it was all-star break and I think it was the year after I had, we had been through it and it was all-star break and we're brushing our teeth and he's like, just spilling on me, like everything he felt during the time that I had the brain tumor. And I wanted to look at the clock and be like, babe, (laughs) you're, you're late. Right. (laughs) It happened a year ago, but I, I just think that that was like his only way, you know, to cope in the moment. Like he, you know, having the fear of losing your wife and your first child. Like I can't even imagine. I know that's insane. And I would imagine you would have to tell me if this is true or not, but for your whole life, your body had been on your same, on your team. Like you and your body had been like the strength of your job was the strength of your body. And then suddenly there's a brain tumor that you can't control. Absolutely. And I think control is a big, is a big issue, like is a big issue for athletes, like Mm -hmm. especially, but we like to have control of our bodies. We like to have control of how hard we can push ourselves and what we can do. And for something to be completely out of your control, like I had to completely rely on my doctors and rely on other people to help me. It, that was like extremely humbling and not something I was used to. What were your teammates doing when all this was going on? What was their support like? My teammates were awesome. Uh, I told them, I actually emailed the team. I will, and I got so many phone calls right away. Yeah. Abby and Heather O'Reilly called me and both of them were crying when they called me. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, I had I ended up going to Duke. That was the surgeon I chose. Um, Heather O'Reilly lived there. She she was amazing, like held my hand through it all. Abby came two days after I had surgery. My teammates were just like a huge support. Yeah. Yeah. So you had the surgery. And so what what happened next? Do you, is it gone for good? It no, I still have brain tumor. So my mm-hmm. brain tumor was so large, and the place that it was, it was about six centimeters when they removed it. Oh my gosh! How they described it to me was like a billiard ball. Yeah, and they couldn't remove it all because some was on my brain stem and some was on my basal artery. They oh, wow. told me I most likely had it for fifteen years. Oh my gosh! And it just was so it was just hiding back there until you got pregnant. Yep. And then when I got pregnant, it grew so much so quickly that it affected so many things. And where it's located, it had 10 out of 12 of my nerves in there. Oh my gosh. So like everything, I actually, I lost my hearing in my right ear. So I'm deaf in my right ear and I lost my sixth nerve for my eye. So like, I actually can't look right at all. (laughs) And my my eye a tiny bit crossed. Really? Mm-hmm. I've had two surgeries to correct it. It looks a lot better, yeah. but yeah. And so will you just live with a part partial brain tumor all the time now? I will. I went through radiation. I had surgery in October 20th, mm-hmm. uh, four weeks after I delivered my daughter. Oh my I had gosh. brain surgery and then I had radiation in that January. I mean, I bet Drew four weeks after you have a baby (laughs) and you being a brain tumor, I bet that is, that was Drew was really praying on his knees those days. Yeah. 
Yeah, it definitely. And then he also like had, I tell people, you know, for the first six weeks of our daughter's life, I mean, he was like the main caretaker. There was only, there was a limited amount of what I could do. They really wanted me to sleep. My balance was off. So everyone was like, you know, we had jokes, but I would go on a walk and I'd end up walking in the grass and they're like, no, come back. (laughs) So I couldn't walk in a straight line. So anytime I held my daughter, I had to be like sitting down, but that was for me too. Like I could never forgive myself if I, you know, dropped her or fell or something uh, along those lines. But Drew, he took that responsibility. He he took care of her. He did not take much help, even though both our families were there. Super helpful. He wanted to be, you know, the main caretaker. Man, that's amazing. Yeah. Good dude. Good pickings that day on the basketball stands, <laughs> Lauren. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I did a good job. <laughs> yeah, really well done. I'm glad you retracted your no thank you when y'all went off <laughs> after college. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so your health now. So do you feel fine most of the time now? I feel completely normal. And I you're mean, back to I working feel- out and everything? Yep. Mm-hmm. I can work out. I have to go for an MRI. I go for an MRI every six months to a year um, just to check to make sure that nothing's grown, that it's not growing. And I'll probably have to do, you know, checkups for the rest yeah. of my life. But honestly, I had, I tell people I had best case scenario of a worst case situation. Yeah. And man, the mental toughness you have to have to be in an MRI machine. That thing is scary. <laughs> that's, that's the worst part. I'm not, I don't love MRIs, but I think I've gotten used to them. Yeah. Yeah. I bet so. I mean, if you're going to have them every six months to a year, that'll just yeah. become part of your life routine. Yeah, definitely. Man, I'm so glad you're healthy and that your baby was healthy. And that is, I remember following that story and just, um, I was, I was praying with you. I just was like, oh man, what a, what a juxtaposition of life handing you two very different stories really close together. Oh, absolutely. And I just, I, I tell people it's so obvious to me, like God's presence through it all, like just, just everything that, how it happened. And I mean, I got pregnant. I was, I'm still pretty young. I I tell people, you know, she saved my life because I, it would have grown. It could have grown in menopause or now I feel like I would have recovered. I recover way better now. Yeah. But just looking at it, it's just, it was so obvious to me that God was present after my surgery. The surgeons told me like it was one of the hardest surgeries they had ever done, but like, I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm here. I'm, I work out. I can play with my daughter. I can do everything for her. Um, I had a really hard time thinking I wasn't going to breastfeed. I was able to breastfeed for two weeks and I pumped like eight weeks of milk. I'm like, okay, God, I see you. I see you. (laughs) Like all of my fears and worries that probably didn't mean a lot. They shouldn't have meant a lot that meant a lot to me. I feel like, um, God was just right there saying like, okay, like I got you, Yeah, you know, like I got you. It's okay. Yeah. Man, that's amazing. I love that. I, I just love people being able to hear faith stories that they might not have seen when they just thought you were a soccer star, you know? Yeah. I think that's awesome. Okay. Can we talk about world cup? Yeah. Are you ready? Let's get everybody here's to behind the scenes. Everyone we're actually recording this on June 21st. It's going to come out July 1st. So we're recording it before the quarter final matches start. So we're going to talk with what we know, Lauren, even though the people listening will know more than we know today. 
Okay. <laughs> so does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. We're just going to say what we know, even if they know a little bit more. So what we know now is that what started out as 24 teams is down to uh, 12 teams or 15 teams, 16 teams. I think it's 16. Yeah, I think it's 16. I think you're right. So what happens now for starters, can we, the first thing I want us to bring up is the worst part to me about the group stages was how many penalty kicks got to be retaken because of this new rule about the goalies not stepping over the line. Yeah, I think that's been really tough. I think that's been that's been a really controversial call, but it's going to be now we have the VAR, the video and everything happening for the World Cup that I feel like all of that stuff, even with the goalkeepers, that's that's just a tough position. I I don't like it. I don't like the that they got to retake the penalty kicks, but I guess it is part of the game now. And when you were playing, there wasn't VAR, right? So there wasn't video like that where the referees could immediately go watch and see, did someone step a little bit over a line? Did a ball cross over a line? Like that didn't exist when you were playing. No. Right. So that's brand new. Yeah. I think the men had it in 2018. So this is, it was brand new for them too. Okay. And, but then I saw today, Taylor Twelman tweeted that, now they're taking for the rest of the women's world cup, the VAR can't affect penalty kicks. Well, see, I don't like that. I, then it, I feel like if you started at least right. Like how unfair to those teams, right? How unfair to poor Scotland who I loved, you know, I used to live in Scotland. So they're like my number two team and they ended up losing and being kicked out of the world cup over a penalty kick that was retaken. That was heartbreaking. It was that that was truly heartbreaking. Yeah, that was one of the worst things I've ever seen for a Scotland fan. For an Argentina fan who's watching their team score three goals in 15 minutes, it had to be the most joyful moment of their lives. Yeah. When you're watching, yeah. are you imagining playing in all these games? Like when you're watching, are you are you thinking like a player or have you been out of it enough that you think like a fan? Or what is it like for you to watch the World Cup? I think you'll always like I'll always think like a player. Yeah. But it is fun to be a fan. Like, I mean, I got so excited yesterday watching the game. And when Lindsay Horan scored, I, you know, I'm like jumping, running around my living room. <laughs> when Tobin scored, same thing. Uh, I'm like going crazy. Tobin was one of my best friends. So yeah, um, it's just like so cool to experience it on this side. It, it really is. It's different, but I still definitely look at it as a player. Do you think the U.S. team has as good a chance to win the World Cup this year as they did when y'all won in 2015? I think they have a better chance. Do you? Listen to you. I Tell think, me why. I think in um, 2015, we actually started the tournament extremely slow. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it was the best soccer that we had played. The thing about 2015 is uh, the women on that team, like their mental capacity to just like fight through adversity and fight through, you know, and just like keep going back, even though things weren't going our way. I think that we had that edge on other teams, Yeah. but the skill level that the team has this year and the talent, the depth of the bench, like is incredible. And I like, I feel comfortable with every player on that team, yeah. like starting in a world cup final. Yeah. And I think that that's super special I don't know. I like their, their vibe, their swag, their, like, I like everything about them. So watching them, I'm like, man, they're going to win this thing. Yeah. It feels like Megan Rapino seems to be one of the more vocal ones that the, you know, ESPN keeps having on or Fox will have on. And, and it feels like she leads with swagger like that. 
Oh, absolutely. That's just, that's just Pino. Yeah. Like, but I think that leadership is good. You know, like that leadership is good. And I think so many of the girls that I played with, like just watching them step into these roles and, and being like such a force on the team, but also like fighting for women's rights and fighting uh, for so much more. I just watch them. And I think that this is a really special team. And I think they're going to, I think they're going to make history. What does history look like? What does it mean to make history? To win four world cups. Okay. (laughs) I think that, I think that they have a really good chance and I think they're really fun to watch. They are really fun to watch. You were also very fun to watch. The 2015 team was so fun to watch, but this is, yeah, there's just something about their, now I know that what we're about to see is them go into, they were in a pretty easier uh, group stage than y'all, y'all had in 2015. And now they're about to go into games that are elimination games. You know, what's crazy though, is like the easy teams that, that I feel like that shows like mental preparation so much more than a harder team because anyone can get excited for a game against Germany. Mm -hmm. Anyone can get excited for a game against Brazil or Sweden or whatever, but the games that are like, Oh yeah, we're for sure going to win, or it should be a for sure win. Uh Those games are so much harder to prepare for. Right, because that's when you see teams crumble on accident to teams they shouldn't lose to. Exactly. Mm. And their mentality has been so strong that I think that's really what I feel like I've been impressed with the most. Who are the other teams that you think we should be watching just for fun or that are have a real good chance of, of being a competition to the U.S.? Uh, I, I like France. Yeah. I think the home team, um, the home country, she, they're just – they're going to get better every game. And I think that they're always someone to watch. And they're very beautiful. All the women are like, they like wear a lot of makeup and stuff. Have you noticed? Oh my God. Yeah, always. France has always been like that. They've always worn a lot of makeup. <laughs> I mean, one of the girls, I was like, my word, you look like you are ready to be on like any kind of movie premiere and you're playing soccer. <laughs> that's impressive huh? Yeah, I was really impressed I was like okay you're my kind of people I like this yeah okay so France is one to watch is there anybody else that stands out to you I like England oh I think England they're just gonna be like a really cool story I think they're gonna fight they're gonna yeah they're gonna make some waves and I think they can definitely upset some teams um going forward I really like them I just think they they always seem happy yeah I can see that yeah, they just like seem to be like enjoying that they're there. They're always like, yeah, you know, there's, they seem to love the game. And that always, that's always a team that attracts my viewing. Right. I also think that uh, like a Canada, mm-hmm. they're hard to play against. Um, and I also think Australia. Yeah. Tell me what it is about um, Canada that's hard to play against. Are they just, they're just good? They're good. And they're also very physical. Um, the way that they play is just, it, they disrupt. They like to play physical. They disrupt play by any means necessary. So I feel like that's never an easy team to play against. Mm-hmm. The problem is we don't exactly know what's happened by the time people hear this. So I'm kind of like, oh, they're going to know what we don't know. <laughs> but right. okay. So for anyone, Lauren, who hasn't jumped into World Cup yet, but now they're ready. They're ready for the last week. They will have a... Semi two semifinal games on Tuesday, July 2nd, Wednesday, July 3rd. And then it, this is a dream that happens for me about every so often, every few years. The final game on July 7th is also on my birthday. 
And on my anniversary. Yes, girl. Look at us. <laughs> um, okay. So, so are we going? Yeah, I, let's go. Oh, listen, you don't even have to beg. <laughs> That's what we should do one year to celebrate is we're at the Women's World Cup final on July 7th. Let's do it. Oh, I would do it in a heartbeat. <laughs> are you, um, so for somebody who hasn't watched yet, tell me why or tell them why they should tune in for these last three games. I think the watching women's soccer and just watching the competitiveness and the fierceness of these women, these are the best athletes in the world. Mm-hmm. And they, you watch Zambia finals, you watch the Super Bowl. These women are equal to that. They are just as exciting and just as physically amazing as all of those men. So I feel like watch them and see how tough they are and see how skilled they are and beautiful on top of it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Especially France like, with all their eyelashes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I just feel like anyone that would actually take the time to watch it, I feel like would fall in love with it. Yeah. So do it. I loved um, when Taylor Twelman was on the show a few months ago, he said that soccer is one of the only sports where men and women like watching women play as much as they like watching men play. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I think that's one. I think that's a really fun part of this is that a women's game is as fast and as interesting and as calculated as watching any men's competition. So watching those games to me is as fun, if not more fun, to watch the women win. And to in the USA, it is a lot more fun to watch the women than the men play because y'all women are so good. Yeah, I think that's really cool of Taylor to say um, too because I feel like that's such the stereotype is oh the you know women are slower, the game's not as fast or not as physical or whatever. And it really is like Mm -hmm. the game is fast and the decision-making is quick and um, the skill level is the same. And yeah, maybe we don't run the same 40 time, but we're still able to create the game in the same way. Yeah. I love it. Lauren, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for making it work with your schedule. I'm so grateful. No, thank you for having me. Oh, I think Honestly, awesome. I'm so excited. Me too, man. Okay, so there's one last question we always have to ask because the show is called That Sounds Fun. You got to tell me what sounds fun to you right now, Lauren. What sounds fun to me right now? Actually, what sounds fun to me right now is going to the trampoline park with my daughter because she's waiting for me. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to go jump and have a lot of fun there. That's awesome. Please post some pictures because that child, I just can't get enough of her. Okay, I will. <laughs> I love it. You guys, isn't she the coolest? Like, that's pretty awesome. I don't know that. I Actually, I do know. We've never had a World Cup champion on the podcast before. So that today is a first. Hey, make sure you follow Lauren on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can always find their links in the show notes as well as at AnnieFDowns.com. The day after the show comes out, we have a whole blog post there with all the links we talked about, how you find the guest and a recording of the show. So you can listen right there through the website if you want to. So that's AnnieFDowns.com. But thank you to Lauren for being on the show. You guys make sure you tell her thanks. And I guess if the U.S. is still in it, you got to cheer for him, you guys. You got to cheer for him all the way out. But either way, plan on watching the final game on Sunday, July 7th. That is the Sunday that is coming up. If you need anything else from me, 
I am embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs all over the place. F is for football because everybody in the world except us calls soccer football. Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places you could ever need me. That's how you find me. And I think that's it for me today. So go U.S. Women's National Team. Thank you for how you're making U.S. soccer so fun. Y'all are just the best. I am such a fan of our women's team. And if you love talking soccer, don't forget that we also had an episode with Taylor Twellman a few months ago, who is a U.S. men's national star and just one of my favorite dudes. Y'all, if you haven't listened to his episode, you've got to. He is just a trip. I adore the dude. So we've got a couple of soccer shows. I hope you like soccer a little more today than you did yesterday. You guys go out and do something that sounds fun to you. I will do the same and we will see you back here on Thursday.